because he's concerned for them as a, as a pastor is concerned for people who, who may not fully grasp what, all that God has for them in the gospel, who may not understand all of the unbelievable ramifications of what we are uh, given in, the, in the, the gospel of Jesus Christ and salvation. And so he is writing to these believers. Uh, he's saying, come with me. Let me take you on this journey and let me show you some things so that you can see things in a clear way and know exactly uh, what God has called you to. You know, uh, the... The astounding thing is, is that maybe it, the temptation might be to, to look at the book of Colossians and say, well, how do they not get this? How do they not see this? And, and really, I think it's very understandable. First and foremost, you have to understand that we're, we're at about 60 A.D. So this is the infancy of Christianity and the New Covenant. And you have to understand that the, the, the mindset of, of the people in Colossae is of a, of a religious system from the Old Covenant and the Old Testament uh, where things were very different. That before Jesus, uh, it was a very, very different world uh, experientially as a believer. Apart from a few uh, people maybe like Moses, for example, who had personal fellowship to a degree with God, are still not on the level that we can today as New Covenant believers, but um, they, they're, they just can't get their head around the reality of what's being taught to them in the gospel. And I would venture to say I am positive that there's a contingency of you in here this morning and you are just like the Colossians. You really don't get the fullness and the scope and the gravity of what Jesus Christ has accomplished on our behalf. What being saved actually means. And the reason I, I feel like I can say that on relatively Good authority is simply because if you did, lives would be so radically turned upside down. Just absolutely almost unrecognizable. When this truth hits your heart and penetrates your heart and this becomes a reality, this story of God creating the pinnacle of creation in human beings, making people in his own image, this, this, this priceless creation that he loves so dearly, and then seeing it fall and collapse and, and be obliterated into a thousand pieces in, the, in sin and through the fall of Genesis 3, and then the subsequent just just generation after generation of struggling and suffering and, and waywardness and fickleness of hearts and just the, the ups and the downs and all thousands of years this has been going on. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And we begin to see now all these pieces that have been laid out for thousands of years start to take shape. We start to see what this puzzle is actually making a picture of. 
We get to see this, the master creator whose creation was broken by sin, now restoring that creation, putting all of that back together, taking what was broken and alienated and bringing it all back together at a, at a cost that's it's indescribable. It would cost God everything, but he wouldn't be deterred, and he, he, he presses forward. And then the Lord Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross that we might be restored to him. And so last week when Brian got to verses 21 and 22 in Colossians 1, where the Bible says, And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. You see, that's past tense. Has reconciled, that God has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. That is a remarkable statement that people, think about this, people like you and me, I know me. And the fact that the Bible says that me, I, have been reconciled past tense, that God might through Jesus Christ, that he made me holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. That is a, a shocking statement. And so that's what Paul's doing. He's trying to take us up this mountain so that we can sort of see these things. And whenever you're, whenever you're climbing up a mountain, whenever you're, you're hiking up a mountain, it's very important for you to, you, you have to have some understanding of where you're going and what's going on, you know, and, and what's around you. And one of the important things you need is you need a trail map. You need a map that's going to give you information about the trail in front of you. So when we're hiking uh, on the Appalachian Trail, we'll have a trail map that will tell us things like not just elevations and not just distances, but it will have little icons on the map. For example, there'll be a little water drop on the map that will say, when you get to this place, there's water. That's important information. If you didn't know that and you walk past an opportunity to get water, you could get in deep trouble because there may not be another opportunity for water for quite some time. So that map is going to tell you, hey, here's a place where there's water. Here's a place where there's shelter. Here's a place so that you can plan out how far you can go today so that you know where you can stop. And also along this trail, there are places signified on the trail map that Here's a scenic place. Here's an overlook. Here's a place you might want to stop and take it in. And you say to yourself, well, well, wouldn't I know that? Wouldn't I see that? Well, not necessarily. A lot of times you're walking on a trail, and if you don't have a trail map, you just walk right past very important things that you would need. But if you have a map, you'd realize that there's a little path that leads off to the side because you're you're surrounded you can't see really where you are and you take this little trail off to the side and suddenly it opens up and you walk out on this this rock cliff and you can see this vast expanse and you're able to just take a moment and see how far you've come and and what the terrain looks like that you've just uh conquered and all of those amazing things it's important and and in colossians what happened last week was as Brian was, was walking you through the end of the first chapter, that first scenic overlook, 
was laid out for you. You were able to come to that first place where Paul says, you know what, right, right here is where we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna step off to the side. And I just want you to sort of look and see where we've come from. It's the first place of maybe reflection, if you will. And that was uh, at the end of chapter 1 in verse 27 where the Scripture says, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. They don't have any, they don't know what that means. What do you mean Christ in you, the hope of glory? You realize how insane that sounds? God in me? Some, some little person in, in, in Colossae who's been a Christian for a year, who's surrounded by paganism and all sorts of idolatry, who's being persecuted and mocked and laughed at, who feels so meaningless and overlooked in this giant world that we live in, and that you've got to stop and look out and, and think about this for a second, that Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so you just, uh, I just feel like there's a breath there after verse 27 to just take that in for a moment. And then Paul gives us a, a, a statement to sort of, okay, now we're going to get back on the trail. And he says in verse 28, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ. Now, how are we going to do this? I mean, what, what do you mean? How is this going to happen? To this end, I also labor, Paul. So he, Paul's, he puts his arm around you at this point. He says, I know this is overwhelming you. I know you're tired. I know you don't think you can go on. I know you're not sure about, about this, but he puts his arm around you and he says, listen, I also labor. I understand. Striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. He's saying, we're not going up this mountain in our own strength. We're going up this mountain in the strength of the one who's in you, the hope of glory. And so that's what launches us into chapter 2. Let's pick up in verse 1. And the Apostle Paul says, for, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you in, and those in Laodicea. For as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. You see, they don't, they don't know his face in the flesh that their hearts may be encouraged. But be encouraged being knit together in love and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with per persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the Spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Whew, that's good. That's good. All right, let's look at a few things here. First of all, I want you to see the foundation. The, the, Paul is, is calling us to this journey, and he, he realizes that this is going to be a... a this is going to be a shocking reality. These are Christians now. 
And he's saying, but you're, you're a Christian, but this is shocking to take all of this in. And so you need a foundation that's going to propel you, you know, that's going to enable you up this journey. And that's your union with Christ. How am I going to get up this mountain? You see, the, the, the heart of what Paul believes about the Christian life is that Christianity is not becoming part of an organization. It's not about when you become a Christian, you don't join a club. It's, that's not what Christianity is. When God saves us, when we are born again into the kingdom of God, we're joined to God. We're irrevocably connected to God for all of eternity. That that can never change. So, so what happens in this moment of salvation is that there has been this fusion, if you will, of this holy, sovereign, amazing, unbelievable, powerful God and sinful, fallen people coming together, and it's, and it's an irrevocable fusion. You can't unravel it or undo it. Once it's there, it, it can never be changed. And that's why Paul says, I'm, I'm, I'm striving according to his working that's in me mightily. Remember back in the very beginning of the, the letter, in, in the second verse of the letter where Paul says that he's writing to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. You see right there he was giving us a clue. He's saying, I'm, I'm writing to a group of people that are in Christ. Now he knows when he says that. They don't, they don't get that. That went right over their head. It just, it just went shoo. What You know, they're like, well, that just means I'm part of the church, I guess. Or that just means I'm going to heaven. Or, and so he's been building this point up. And next week when we get to verse 9, uh, Paul's going to say, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. So over and over he's telling us about this in him, Christ in us, in him. You know, as we were traveling home from Brazil, uh, you know, 10 days on the field, it's a, it, it grinds on you. You know, I mean, it's, there's, no, there's not a lot of time for... Uh, rest or relaxation, you're going hard, it's incredibly hot, the terrain is difficult, you're, you're, you have to take so many things into consideration all the time and the elements and the, just everything. And so it, it just wears you out and it, I feel like, just wears me out as I feel not only I'm in the midst of all this, but I feel responsible for the team and so I'm, I'm just watching over them and making sure that all the details are the way they need to be and then you, you finally, you know, get on one plane that takes you to another plane that takes you to another plane. But when you get on the, the plane that's going to land in the United States, that the next stop, it's not home, it's not Gulfport, but it is the United States. Something sort of changes inside of you. You, you, you get this sense of, okay, this is going to be eight or nine hours, but at the end of that, we're going to land. And when we land... It's going to be the USA. And people say that, you know, I'm American by birth. Well, you may be American by birth, but if you spend time in a third world country, what you would understand is that you are American 
by the grace of God. Because you didn't do anything to deserve to be born here. You didn't have anything to do with the fact that you're born here. But let me tell you something. You live in the greatest, most unbelievable country that has ever been. And if you spend time away from here, you will kiss the ground you walk on and thank God. You'll forget all the negative things that you've been staring at CNN and Fox News getting wound up about. You'll stop talking about, oh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be over, oh, man, blah, blah, blah. You'll be loving the USA. You'll love it. I mean, the minute you step into the, uh, an airport in the United States, the, it just smells good. It's clean, and it's nice, and it's safe, and it's just wonderful. And by the grace of God, we, we didn't earn it, certainly didn't deserve it, didn't have anything to do with it, couldn't have earned it, didn't do anything. And it's not like I was doing good works in the womb, and then God said, well, you've earned enough. You're going to be born there. No, that's not how that worked out. And so we get to the privilege of being a citizen of this great country. When you're born again, you get the privilege of being a citizen, all of the, the rights and privileges that come with being in Christ. See, when you're born again, your, your citizenship is conveyed into a new kingdom, that you're born into something. You're placed in Christ, that everything that comes with being in Christ, everything that comes with being a, a, a full citizen of the kingdom is immediately true for you. You didn't earn it. You couldn't deserve it. You didn't... but. It's yours, not by birth, but by the grace of God in the same way. And so we're, it's just ours by rebirth, if you will. And so Paul said back in chapter 1, verse 13, he's delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. I mean, that's, that's just shouting right there. And so there's this foundation of being in Christ. Well, what does this mean in Christ? Well, I think there's two things you need to understand. You need to understand, first of all, that you're positionally, the moment you're saved, you're positionally in Christ. You have this irrevocable, unchangeable position as a child of God in the kingdom of God as a saved person. It should be the basis of your identity. You should understand everything about the world around you. You should understand everything about the, the, the circumstances around you. Everything about your life, you should understand through the lens of your position as a child of God, a citizen of the kingdom of light, that that can never change. It can't even shift. It can't move one degree to one side or the other. It's always immovable and fixed, right, dead, center in the gaze and love of God the Father. That position is yours. But not just position. There's the provision, you see, that's of being in Christ. That the, the basis of, now we're positionally a child of God. That can never change. And so that's our identity. That's who we are. The next question is, but now, what do we do? What does this look like? How do we live? How do we 
go forward and you start reading the Bible. And if you read the Bible with saved eyes, it won't take you long to go, uh, how, how do I do that? How does this, how am I going to, I mean, how? And that's where provision comes in. That you've been provided everything you need by being in Christ to do all that God's called you to do. So you're positionally in Christ. You can't be moved or changed. You don't have good days or bad days. God always sees the same thing every time he looks at you. He sees the same thing, the righteousness of his son Jesus. That never changes. And then provisionally, you've been given everything you need. So if you don't have something, you don't need it. Because if you need it, you'd have it. Everything you need has been given to you. It's provided for you in Christ. And so when he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory, that is an all-encompassing statement for you to stop and breathe and realize that's the foundation for me to go forward in this journey to see the reality of what the gospel has made true in my life. No one ever in the history of the world has lived or will ever live the Christian life in their own strength. That's impossible. You can't do that. The most frustrating, defeated people in the world are people who in their own strength are trying to be a Christian. That, you can't do that. That will just break you like a, like a piece of glass on a giant boulder. It's a hopeless endeavor, and it will never yield anything but uh, struggle and trial and defeat. Christian growth... Our life as a Christian, this walking on this journey is always, is always a, a, a process of being transformed from the inside out, not the outside in. You see, the world wants you to believe that what you need is you need better circumstances around you. Or you need the right person to believe in you. Or you need a special person beside you. Or you need a title to affirm you. Or you need to possess some possessions to, uh, to secure you. Or, see, the, every message the world has is some external thing that's going to solve some internal lacking. And what the gospel is saying is, all that's nonsense. Christianity, growth in Christ, being in Christ, is that you already have positionally and provisionally everything you could ever need, and that change is from the inside out. That it first comes on the inside. That first you begin to, to, to understand and to know and to believe and to see the reality of who you are in Christ and what God's done in the gift of his son. And then it begins to work outward into your life. But you don't change the outside. God works from the inside. So if Christ is in me, here's what I want you to understand the foundation is. You do not strive to live the Christian life. That's not how this works. You strive to get out of the way and let Christ in you live the Christian life. You understand? It's him. He is in you. He's the one who knows more about the Christian life. That's why it's named after him, by the way. Because he wrote the book about it, by the way. So he doesn't need your or my help as to how to do it. He's in you. So you get out of the way. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in his power. Walk in it. Get, lay down the, the deeds and works of the flesh. And let God work through you. Now, so you say to yourself, well, pastor, is, is that why? 
It's just try, fail, try, fail. I mean, my whole life is just nothing but trying and failing. Ding, 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 ding. Jackpot, I think you just got something. Yes, that's why. You trying to live the Christian life is not what Paul's saying at all. He's saying, let Christ live through you. He's in you. That's the foundation. Union with Christ. Number two, the fuel. So if that's the foundation, what's the fuel that's going to propel us? What is gonna, what's going to encourage us up this way? What, are we, what is it that's going to fuel this journey? And that's faith in Christ. Verse 5. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Now understand, Paul knows where this journey's going. He's leading us on this through the Holy Spirit. And so Paul knows where this is going. And so he's, he's encouraging specific things in the lives of these Colossians that he knows that they need to, to, to know. They need to, to realize that these are very important things that he's, he's not just randomly picking things. Like he, 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 that's why he didn't say, well, I'm just so encouraged because you dress up so nicely every day, every Sunday for church. He didn't say that. He didn't say, you know, I'm encouraged. That's a great, that new haircut you got is fantastic. He didn't say that. He didn't talk about all the other things he could have talked about. What he talked about was the steadfastness of your faith. As you have therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. Hmm. So let's talk about this fuel, this faith. What does this mean? Because there's a lot of confusion. Like in verse 6 where the Bible says, therefore you've received. Well, what does that mean, received? What does it mean? Could we, the, the word received and the word believed, those two, receive and believe, they, they, those words have caused a lot, of, a lot of trouble in a lot of people's lives. They've caused a lot of stumbling in people's lives who didn't understand what that meant because people would say, well, I mean, I believe or, well, I'm, I, I'm a Christian because I received. Okay, well, what exactly does that mean? Notice what he says. He says, you've received Christ Jesus, the Lord. Salvation only comes through receiving and believing in Jesus as Lord. Listen, you, you, don't, you can't, a lot of people believe in Jesus and just add him to a pile of other things they believe. That's not salvation. This is why Paul spent the entire first chapter of this letter talking about the supremacy of Jesus Christ, that, there, that he is supreme and to remain supreme above all things, that he is the pinnacle and the top of everything in all of creation. Remember he said he's the image, the icon of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. Does that sound like somebody who's willing to share? No. It's Lord or it's nothing. And so when, when the Bible says believe or the Bible says receive, understand what that means. There are two fundamental things that we all have to understand that every person needs to know about salvation. You've got to believe these two things in order to be saved. The first one is that Jesus is Lord. There's no way around it. There's no other. There's no plan B. There's no loophole. He's Lord. He's Lord. 
You may not fully understand the ramifications of that. Obviously, Paul's talking to people who are Christians who believe that he's Lord and don't understand all the ramifications of that. Many of you in this room are Christians and don't understand all the ramifications of that. But that he is Lord. Jesus is Lord, number one. And number two, that his death on the cross was sufficient for my salvation. You see, if you think that his death on the cross was enough to open the door for the opportunity for you to be a Christian, but now you have to pick up the toolbox and go to work and earn the rest of the way, well, then you you don't understand what salvation is. You've got the wrong, that's not the gospel. That's some whole other thing. That's a lot of other works-based religions that you can get involved in, but that's not the gospel. That's That's not what the Bible teaches at all. Salvation comes by those two things. But there's a, those two things unlock this unbelievable, unlimited treasure chest filled with the realities of what it actually means to be a Christian. But you, you have to see that Paul's talking to people who possess all of that but who aren't experiencing it. You ever met anybody like that? Do you know anyone who's a Christian, but who, would, if you sat down and talked to them, they would say, no, I, I'm sure that I'm a Christian. I'm sure that I'm saved. I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe that his payment on the cross was sufficient for my salvation. I I fully get that. But their life is, is marked by a less than living, maybe what we talked about in our previous series. I call it Jed Clampett Christianity. You know Jed Clampett? Remember that cat? You know, let me tell you a story about a man named poor mountaineer, barely kept his family. Then one day he was shooting at some, up from the ground came a bubbling. Okay, some of you, the rest of you are, we're going to kick you out of America if you don't know that song, okay? Your citizenship's fixing to be revoked. Now let me ask you a question about Jed Clampett Christianity. When did Jed Clampett become a millionaire? In other words, the day before he went shooting at some food, did he possess that oil? That black gold was his. It was under his ground. He already owned millions of dollars worth of oil, but he didn't know it. It was his. He owned it, but it wasn't doing him any good because he didn't own it. It wasn't until that muzzle load went into the ground and that black gold started bubbling out until all of a sudden Jed began to experience what he had owned all along. That it was already his. I'm telling you, there are people right now, some of you are walking around like Jed Clampett spiritually. You're like some poor, broke hillbilly, and you've been adopted into the family 
of the king of the universe with every right and privilege under the sun. But you're not experiencing that because you, you, you haven't yet struck oil. So maybe it should be, listen to my story about a man named you. A poor church goer who just sits in a pew. <laughs> then one day you were feeling kind of small and Paul spoke up and said, you already own it all. It's yours. You have it. You don't need to, you, you, you possess it now. Here's what Paul said in verse 2 of chapter 2. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden... Help me. What, what's hidden in all this? What's hidden under the ground of my salvation? What, what do I already possess, but I haven't fully experienced this yet? What, it, what, what is it that I had the moment I got saved? All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All of them. Not some of them, not part of them, not a contingency of them, but all of them. Paul is calling us. The Lord is calling you this morning to exchange Jed Clampett Christianity for Jesus Christ Christianity. He's saying, listen, it's there. If you are saved, you have an, an unchangeable position and an unlimited provision because you're in Christ and Christ is in you. That you've been fused with the, the, the God who is preeminent over all things. So that's your, the fuel, your faith. So we have the foundation, the fuel, and thirdly, the form. In other words, what form is this journey going to take? What do I need to, to know about this journey? I need to open up my trail map, and I need to look at this map, and I need to think about, you know, what's the, what is the grade I'm going to be facing for how long? How, what's the, the, the elevation? Because that's going to help me determine how far we can plan out and go this particular day, and so on and so forth. And so, hey, what is this going to, what's the, what's the method? How am I going to get from where I am to where Paul's calling me to be? How, how are you going to do that? Look at verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. You know what the form is? Walking. It's walking. Paul always uses the metaphor to walk. That is his favorite way to, to describe the Christian life. He says uh, back in chapter 1 verse 10 that we would walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, being fruitful in every good work. Now remember, Paul is talking to a group of people that have been impacted by Epaphras. Epaphras came to know Christ by Paul's teachings at Ephesus. And so it got me to thinking a little bit about what was going on in Ephesus and Paul spending those months uh, in teaching all those men and women about the gospel. 
And so then I flipped over to the book of Ephesians. I started thinking about this picture of walking. And one of my favorite passages in Ephesians is chapter 2, verse 10, that says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which are prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Ephesians 4, verse 1, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Chapter 5, verse 2, walk in love. Chapter 5, verse 8, walk as children of light. Chapter 5, verse 15, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. See, Paul is teaching that the, the form of Christian growth, this journey that we're on, the, the, the method that's going to get us there is walking. To which you'd say, well, so what? I mean, what has that got to do with me right now? Oh, it has everything to do with you. Everything. What you need to do and what I need to do is spend a few moments thinking about, now, if the Christian life is about walking, then what implications does that have for us today? What do we need to understand about walking? And I, I can think of three principal things that we need to understand about walking. The first thing about walking is that it's intentional. You see, to walk is to intend to do something. You, you intentionally have to get up and put one foot in front of the other to walk. It doesn't just happen, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's not like the wind just happened to blow through your window. That's not, walking takes the intention of, I'm going to get up and I'm going to walk. And the difference between walking and sitting is a choice. You have to choose to walk. And so if the Christian life is walking, we need to understand first and foremost that, that walking, growing, getting up this mountain is an intentional choice. Walking is not passive. It's active. No one walks for you. You walk. I walk. We have to get up and we walk. And the other thing about walking, being intentional, walking takes us in a direction. Walking has some destination in mind. That walking is propelling us somewhere. And so there's intention in the choice to walk and then the destination of walking, the, the, the active nature of it, it's intentional. The second thing about walking is it's incremental. In other words, just like it's a choice to walk, the Christian life isn't a dash. It's not a sprint. It's not a leap. It's not jumping. You're not, you're not Paul doesn't say, well, well, so frolic in him or run in him or leap in him or jump in him or anything else in him. He says, walk in him. Why? Because the Christian life, it's not, it's not this endless sequence of giant leaps. There may be times where in your sanctification process, as you grow, you may grow faster and sometimes and slower in others. Your walking may be a little bit more brisk at some times. It may be a little slower in some seasons, but it's always walking. It's never anything but walking. See, in walking, the destination is reached one step at a time. Baby steps. 
you get from where you are to where God wants you to be one step at a time. You know the thing about walking is, is that it's hard to gauge your progress sometimes in walking. Walking, if, if you stopped after every step, if you took a step and stopped and said, now, let's just take in what I've just accomplished. Boy, this is something. Isn't this something? Whew, I was there just a minute ago. Look at where I am now. Boy, I mean, that's pretty exciting, isn't it? Not really. You have to, you have to put a sequence of steps together. But once you've moved in a direction, step after step, they start to compound. They're incremental. It begins to build into something greater. Steady progress in the same direction. That's what walking is. That's what Christianity is. People who try to uh, get in a hurry, who try to get somewhere without walking, they can't get there. You know why? Now, 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 let's remember where we started about the foundation of this whole thing. You see, because Christ in you walks. That's why Paul said, so walk in him. He's walking. He knows where to go. He knows the pace to take. He knows everything about it. So you walk in him. Now, if you try to run ahead, you're on you. That's you. You're in your own strength, in your own power. You're tracking your own way. You're making your own trail. That won't work. Walking is intentional. Walking is incremental. And thirdly, walking is imperative. It's not a suggestion. God's not advising us to walk. The Scripture is commanding believers to walk in Christ. That's what we're to do. To do anything other than to walk in Christ is to, to sin. That's why he says, So at, therefore, you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. Then the implication of the fact that you've received him. You see, Paul's saying, I'm not talking to people who haven't received him. But because you have received him, so now walk in him. Walk in him. That's what you do. You take one step. After another step, and to do anything other than that is sin. To go in your own strength is sin. To not go at all is sin. Spiritual growth. Listen, it's not automatic. The, the, the idea that you can just let go, let God just sit around, do nothing. God's sovereign. He's going to do what he's going to do. It's absurd. It is absolutely absurd. I'm telling you, there's, the world is filled with Jed Clamp. It's sitting at the bottom of the mountain. Just sitting there. They got their little fold-out camp chair. They're just sitting there propped up. Got them a bottle of water in the little holder on the side. They're watching all these other people go up, and they're looking up, and they're thinking, well, when am I going to get up there? Well, when's my turn? Well, how's this going to work out? Well, fool, when you get out of the chair and start walking, that's when that's going to happen. As long as you're sitting there in the chair, you're never going to move anywhere. You have to put one foot in front of the other. But you let Christ walk in you. That's the form. you got the foundation, Christ in you. The fuel, faith. The form, walking. And finally, the fence. The fence. What do you mean the fence? There's, there's fences along the way. Well, it started with an F, so I liked it. Now, I want you to see verse 7. But I want us to take 
the context of what's going on. It, starting in verse 4, Colossians 2, verse 4, Paul says, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with pervasive words. So his concern is that you might get deceived. Verse 5, For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see the good order of the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Verse 7, Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. And then the next verse, which we'll get to next week, verse 8. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men. Now here's what I want you to see about this. I want you to notice that in verse 4, Paul's concern is that you be deceived by, by persuasive words. And then in verse 8... The same concern is beware lest you be cheated through philosophy or empty deceit or the traditions of men. So what's sandwiched in the middle of these two concerns about being deceived is this beautiful section in verse 7, rooted and built up in him. And established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Hmm. So what is Paul telling us? What is Paul saying will protect us from being deceived? What will, will, will protect us from being discouraged? What will protect us from being misled? What will protect us from getting sucked into the traditions of men or from some philosophy or empty uh, deceitfulness of the world. What is the protective measure of all of that? Is the realization of that you are in Christ, that you are irrevocably there through faith that's going to fuel you. You're walking, and along the way, as you take all this in, as you stop and, and look at where you've been, as you see sort of where you're going, as you, as you work your way one baby step at a time up this mountain, that you would realize that with every step, sometimes the steps don't feel real great. Sometimes the steps don't feel real marvelous. You know, there's a, most of the steps in your life, there's not going to be anybody there cheering for you. Most of the steps in your life, there's not going to be anybody uh, paying tribute to you. In fact, most of the steps that you take in your life spiritually are going to be unseen by anyone except for the Lord. But you're, you're taking these steps. And if you're not careful, you begin to forget some of these truths, you begin to, to, to unravel and, and the world is constantly barraging you, trying to get you off track, trying to get you to focus on external things and not the realization of what you possess internally, trying to get you to go back to Jed Clampett Christianity. And so Paul says, listen, as you're walking, as you're taking these steps, I want you to know something. That you're rooted you're, you're, you're rooted, you're grounded and built up in him. That the essence of who you are is him, Yahweh, the Lord Jesus Christ. You're established in the faith. 
Your, your feet are firmly planted. You're grounded in this reality. These are the things that I've been teaching you, Paul says. And so as you're walking, abound in it with thanksgiving. In other words, the, the great protective measure for the human heart against discouragement, against deceit, is thanksgiving, is walking. Listen, some of you this morning, you need to hear what I'm about to say. That you get very discouraged. You feel like you're alone on this journey sometimes, maybe a lot of times, maybe right now today. You, you feel like you're not sure if you're getting anywhere. You don't know if you're going in the right direction. And Paul is saying, listen, you're rooted and grounded. You've been established. That Christ is in you. He's with you. You're not alone. And that the way to combat that deceit that wants to creep in, that negativity, that 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 part of your nature, the flesh that's contrary to the spirit, that doesn't want to glorify God, is to walk in thankfulness, is to, is to thank God with every step. You, have, you know anybody who, I guess the politically correct way to say it would be they're a pessimist. I might say they're negative Nancy. Everything is negative. No matter what happens, they always see the, the negative side of it. You ever been uh, sitting at a table with a group of people and you had such high hopes for this time of fellowship together and then somehow it just degenerated into this negative, gloomy, terrible discussion. Sometimes I'm in a conversation with people. And the conversation, sometimes it's my fault. And sometimes the conversation takes a turn and, and we just start going on all these negative things. And then I will literally say, okay, hold on, time out, stop. We got we to gotta shift gears. We need to, we need to think about other things. So about middle of the week last week, you know, the, the grind of teaching and preaching every day and going constantly and just everything that's going on and feeling all the pressure that's not my pressure to feel. Uh, one night, um, the church, uh, the pastor came to me and he said, I said, you know, I mean, I just said, where am I preaching tonight? I mean, I'm, you're preaching every day somewhere. And he said, tonight we're having a service at a, a lady in the church's house right here in the middle of the city. And I said, okay. Uh, and what's, what's that all about? And he said, it's a service of thanksgiving. I said, okay. And so 
we, you know, I, I don't know. It doesn't matter. I'm preaching. Okay, we're going. Well, then we get there and we realize it's a birthday party. And not only is it a birthday party, but they've set out chairs out in the block, the road off, and like 300 people have come to this birthday party. And I'm sitting there thinking, um, this is going to be awkward. And, uh, you know, what are we? So we sing songs and then we sing happy birthday. And I even leaned over and, and asked the translator, asked, are you sure now? What, what, now I, I'm supposed to preach, right? Yeah. And so the pastor said, no, that's what she wants is for you to share the gospel with all her friends for her birthday. I'm like, praise the Lord. So I stand up in this, at this birthday party and I'm telling you, I hammered down. I mean, I didn't, give, I didn't come out with no happy go. I mean, we were in Jeremiah chapter 2. I mean, it was like a melee. 300 people sitting there. And they're all just staring at me. And I get to the invitation. And I can see God working. I, I mean, I can sense the Spirit of God. I can see the, the, the struggle in their eyes. And I'm calling them. I'm calling them to respond in Jesus as Lord and, and to, to, to believe that his, his death on the cross was sufficient for their salvation. Nobody moves. I mean, I'm like three-quarters of the way through the sermon. I'm thinking, man, like they're fixing to be like 25 people get saved. I can see it. Nobody moves. Service ends. We all have cake. It's just kind of awkward. I noticed that, you know, a lot of people were going around me. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, whoo. And uh, you do that sometimes, depending on the sermon. And uh, so I'm used to it. And so I was a little discouraged by that. You know, it was kind of bothering me. And when we went back to the hotel, I told Lisa, I said, well, I mean, there is spiritual warfare. We just have to pray that God's going to work. And then the next day, the same thing happened. It's a spiritual warfare. I was just really just struggling. So we're sitting around the table, the team's sitting there eating dinner that following night, and we're all having a conversation. And I, and I can sense this in me, that I'm just having a trouble walking in thanksgiving. And Matt says... Well, I can tell you this. If nothing else happened today, to be hugged the way we've been hugged, to be loved on the way we've been loved on, to be able to see what it means to these believers in the struggling church that we're here is worth everything. And suddenly, my heart changed to thankfulness. You see, because thankfulness protects us from deceitfulness. It protects us from the, the, all the things that, that want to steal our joy. And then we began to reflect on all the good things that God had been doing. And then it was the next day that the floodgates broke open and the Spirit of God started moving in such a miraculous way. And I don't think God did that because we, 
I think God was always going to do that. I think he just used that to show me this in real life. That some of you, rather than trying to walk and thinking about the sweat running down your brow and thinking about how steep it is and thinking about how hard it is and looking at other people and trying to figure out when you're going to get where and what's going to happen and all this other kind of stuff and just getting yourself all worked up in a frenzy, you need to just say to yourself, you know what? God, thank you today. Thank you that you've given me breath. Thank you that you've given me breath. Thank you that you've given me children. They're breaking my heart sometimes, but thank you that you've given them to me. Thank you that you've allowed me to to have a spouse. Thank you that sometimes all we can be thankful for is that we have people in our life who love us, that we have a friend. So many people get so... They get so negative and bent out of shape because they don't have enough. And I just have to bring it back and say, but, but do you have one? Yes. Well, let's be thankful for that. Let's be thankful that no matter how hard today is, there's someone who has it harder. And that shouldn't be what makes us feel better, but the reality is is that there's always something for a Christian to be thankful for, isn't there? And what, what makes the journey so wonderful is to just abound in gratitude as we walk in baby steps to where God would have us to be. What would happen if we this morning committed ourselves to get out of the way and let the Christ in us begin to harvest the unlimited riches of what we've always possessed in salvation? It's always been there. You're rich beyond your wildest imagination this morning if you're saved. Spiritually, the kingdom of heaven is yours. Remember, the New Testament says that you, at the moment of salvation, were already, already have been seated. There's already a place, a seat. You can't miss. You can't miss the feast that's been prepared for you. You've already been seated there. So let's, let's walk together. Let's walk on this foundation fueled by faith in the form of just baby steps one after another. And let's use the fence of gratitude to keep us from being deceived by false doctrines that swirl around us in this world that make us think we need something on the outside. Let's stand and bow our heads.